Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. As the first month of Donald Trump's presidency comes to an end, Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek's most recent podcast series provides updates on the new administration's impact on crucial issues facing businesses. Brownstein's strategic advisor, Senator Mark Begich, moderates bipartisan discussions with the firm's Washington, D.C. policy professionals and attorneys on tax and trade, financial services, immigration, energy, and health care. In this episode, senior policy advisor Zach Pfister and policy advisor John Sazala discuss Trump's executive order on regulating the U.S. financial system and its impact on Dodd-Frank reform the fate of the CFPB, and the most current version of the Financial Choice Act. Hi, this is Mark Baggage, former senator from Alaska. I'm a strategic advisor for Brownstein, and we're bringing you a series of podcasts on many of the issues that Congress will be dealing with. And not only will you hear about uh, the big topics, but what's happening behind the scenes and probably some information you haven't heard yet. So we're excited to bring these to you. Today, we're joined by two members of the Brownstein team, Zach Pfister, senior policy advisor, built his career in Democratic politics, gaining extensive public policy experience while working on Capitol Hill, as well as lobbying experience in the areas of financial services, tax, health care, and telecommunications. On Capitol Hill, Zach served as legislative director for Representative Larry Kasel, various positions for Representative Brad Ellsworth, and for Senator Evan Bayh, the presidential exploratory committee he served on. John Zazala, policy advisor, has joined us also today from Brownstein. is well known for his work in the financial services arena, where he has helped bank and non-bank product and service providers navigate the House Financial Services Committee and Senate Banking Committee, as well as the rulemaking, supervision, and enforcement activities of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, otherwise known as CFPB. Prior to joining the firm, John gained experience in the government relations both on and off Capitol Hill. He spent time in Washington, D.C., in the office of Congressman Joe Sestick, and the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks for being part of the Brownstein team. And I will tell you, as a member of the team, uh, these guys know their stuff. And uh, they are hardworking, and and I know our clients love it. And uh, hopefully you'll give some insight to people um, on financial services through this podcast. Okay, one of the first things we always hear about, and uh, President Trump has done this, started this already, but during the 16 presidential campaign, you heard it over and over again, government over regulation, too much regulation. I mean, the list goes on and on. And as one of the first acts by Trump was to issue um, an executive order to scale back a lot of these uh, issues on reg- over regulation, and also uh, around Dodd-Frank. Uh, issues around financial services. So tell me, and I'll talk first, I'll ask uh, John, your thought on this in regards, especially the Trump executive order. What did this really mean? Because some people, you know, executive orders can be forceful in action. Some are just wallpapering. What is this? Yeah, thanks for the question, Senator. I think it's, uh, I would probably categorize it as more of the latter. Um, I mean, I think you're right that you know, the notion of broad overregulation, um, that that is resulting in sidelining of capital, uh, low growth, you know, sub 2% GDP for an extended period of time. Uh, those things have kind of been built into the bloodstream of the Republican agenda, uh, both in Congress and in the administration. So, in addition to what Trump is doing around health care, around um, other issues, including tax. 
you know, on February 6th, he issued a executive order titled Core Principles for Regulating uh, the U.S. Financial System. And that was really more of a messaging or, in your words, uh, wallpaper uh, type positioning document. So it kind of put his marker down. This is what I believe. That's exactly right. So it outlined a series of core principles, and it doesn't really do much in the immediacy to impact the regulatory environment. But I think that some of the principles outlined within that document align very well with policy initiatives that we expect both Trump and the Republican Congress to pursue. So, you know, the first one that was outlined was empowering consumers to make independent financial decisions to better save for retirement. And that feeds nicely into, you know, what Trump is doing around the Department of Labor fiduciary rule, lifting restrictions on uh, retirement accounts. Uh, you know, another one, the second one was uh, preventing taxpayer funded bailouts. And I think that's going to be a big theme we're going to see in Congress. The administration will have some authorities, but you know, reforming Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and housing finance reform. That's part of that bucket. Uh, too big to fail is, again, another theme that we're going to hear a lot about over the next uh, several months, weeks, and years, and that also falls within that bucket. So it's it's a positioning document, but the various core principles outlined line up ne- nicely with some specific policy objectives. What, uh, Zach, are you hearing kind of, you know, you, you both, for the clients that we have in Brownstein and others, uh, spend a lot of time on the floor, you know, walking the halls of Congress, listening to people, hearing what they're having to say. Um, in the financial arena, I mean, you start now, you're starting to hear Dodd-Frank reform, whatever that means, because no one's really clear sometimes. When you say reform, people just use the word because it sounds good, but they're not sure what it means. Is it a is Dodd-Frank kind of in this trimming or is it in this radical change or what what is kind of the talk that you hear or is there even an appetite And when you think about all these other big issues they have to deal with? Is this one of those they're going to say, oh... We'll trim it a little bit and get away from it, or we got to change this whole thing. Well, and I, I think part of it depends on who you ask up there. I think that if you recall, who you ask meaning the Democrats, Republicans, Democrats, who's in power, who's not in power, right? Exactly. And if you recall, Chairman Hensarling back in September of last year marked up his Financial Choice Act. Uh, that was a piece of legislation that. Uh, Democrats argued was everything in the kitchen sink. Um, it would have significant rollbacks of Dodd Frank. Uh, it was vehemently opposed by ranking member Waters um, and and kind of the Democrats writ large. They actually took a, a strategy during the markup of uh, of no amendments can make this bill palatable for Democrats, and therefore they offered no amendments. So no amendments. They just said it's so bad. Good luck. And that was that was their position, and they they called for an up or down vote, and it, it passed on a on a party line vote. Uh, that being said, I think that the situation now is is different. Um, I think that uh, whereas the Choice Act in 2016 was unlikely to see floor time, and I think there was an expectation there that it was more of a a table setting uh, for a potential situation that we now see ourselves in with full Republican control. Now uh, the Choice Act is is a vehicle that is going to move through the uh, through the Financial Services Committee and will very likely see a floor vote. Uh, it, it may have a bumpy ride along the way. Um, however, I think that there is a is a good consensus that it will pass out of the House of Representatives, uh, very likely on a on a pretty party line vote. They may, um, I think, on the floor you'll you'll lose some Republicans, but you'll you'll you may gain a. 
a few Democrats, maybe in the single digits. So it might just neutralize itself. It, exactly. Yeah. It might be it might be a wash on that end. Um, and I think that uh, looking to the Senate, then accordingly, uh, many of our clients and, and financial institutions understand that. Uh, Chairman Crapo and Ranking Member Brown may have, uh, you know, different views on on what types of uh, financial reforms or or Dodd Frank fixes uh, should be in order. I think that uh, most folks uh, assume that that package, as as being a former senator, as as you're well aware, that package may need to be more narrower in scope. And uh, but I think proponents of of reforming Dodd Frank hope that at the end of the day you're going to see two bills that are conferenceable and and something uh, ultimately pass into into do you, law. Do you think so? The sense is that the House will pass something in a large perspective, but get to the Senate they'll do some trimming on it, and it may be just you know taking some of the you know for example we hear from some of our clients uh, that. You know, the paperwork burden for some of the clients is just beyond uh, a belief. In other words, how much they have to churn through and the result of what they churn through really doesn't change anything. It doesn't improve the delivery system or the consumer's rights or their benefit. Those are kind of like what I would call easy, right? They can grab those, Democrats, Republicans. But when you think of the Senate Banking Committee and you think of the ranking member and the, and the chair, they are philosophically very different. But the sense is that maybe they can come together and trim up something, clean up some things. Is that your sense? Right, uh, and and I think you know, John, feel free to jump in here too. But I, I think there are there are various scenarios in which that had that could happen. You could have a singular uh, kind of package of of less controversial provisions come out uh, of the committee. You could have a series of smaller pieces of legislation come out of the committee. I, I don't envision a scenario in where the Choice Act 2.0 passes the House and is taken up uh, in the Senate under consideration in as control. is in yeah. total. Um, the and, and, and granted, we are a, we are a long way. This is a long road ahead. I believe. I think that as John mentioned, with tax reform, with with uh, ACA uh, reform, with uh, other executive orders, all competing for uh, this narrow window to to get things done in Washington, uh, they have to juggle with counting their votes, with having a, they have to have a legislative hearing, likely in March, they have to have a markup, they have to find floor time. And you're now in summer. And, and you're now in summer. And I think that uh, it's, you know, finding that floor time at the right time is 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 key for them as well. I, I don't think that there there will be a situation where you have a markup and then you have months that go by and then you and, and then you have a floor vote i think that they will be in an ideal world they want to keep that together now when it goes over to the senate that's a that's a whole different situation and that's yet to be seen yeah and i i think just to add to what zach said i mean i think he's right that you know the house financial services committee they're going to come out of the gate first with a very aggressive posture and i think to some degree there's a sense that you know, for Chairman Henserling and other Republicans, why should they start the process of negotiating against themselves before they need to, which will, I think, inevitably happen with the Senate. So they're going more large scale. They're matching the appetite there is, I think, uh, in the bloodstream for reforming the Dodd-Frank Act. And so they'll move something along. Crapo, you know, Chairman Crapo on the Senate Banking Committee, even this week we've seen, I think, start to hedge a little bit of the enthusiasm that's out there for reforming the Dodd-Frank Act. So he's talking about reforms taking place in 
uh, a matter of you know 12 to 24 months, really over the life cycle of this uh, Congress, as opposed to something happening in the immediacy where Chairman Hensling has said, clearly this is a 2017 issue that needs to be addressed. And also to Zach's point, I view it a little bit uh, as the inverse of what we saw with immigration a few years back. So, you know, the Senate was putting together a comprehensive immigration bill and the House decided to move on piecemeal. I think you're going to see a little bit of the reverse of that and there will be a tug and pull, whereas the House is going more comprehensive. There are other issues they're going to have to address housing finance reform, flood insurance, things that aren't really part of this Financial Choice Act 2.0. But they're going more comprehensive in the Senate, at least Chairman Crapo has signaled, we're going to be looking to do smaller packages and moving them along, ideally in a bipartisan fashion. Let me ask you, uh, one of the pieces of this is uh, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. It seems always the, the kind of the hot button, right? And the Republicans have been really motivated to kind of get rid of it or change its structure and who they respond to or who they're accountable to or see more control from Congress. Let's put kind of Dodd-Frank over to the side, even though this is a piece of the equation. Do you think this could be one of those battles that hit the Senate? I, I think the House, if they want to get rid of it, they'll do it. They'll ship over to the Senate. Do you think this is one of those things that Majority Leader McConnell may want to just have on the floor for the debate of kind of because so many members want to get rid of it? Or do you think it's too much to give to Democrats because now the consumer groups will become unglued and become very loud. I mean, that seems to me one of these issues kind of off to the side that could grow very quickly into a, a big issue. So I think that's right. I mean, I think, you know, in a little bit of a table setting form, um, there are really only two independent agencies that are structured like the CFPB, the CFPB being one and FHFA loosely being another where you have an independent uh, director They do not serve at the pleasure of the president. They can only be removed for cause. They're not appropriated. All these things that kind of put Congress in a difficult position and overseeing the actions of that regulator. So I think there is a broad interest in reforming. The Financial Choice Act 2.0 coming out of the House is likely to actually get more aggressive than the draft we saw last year in terms of uh, changing both the structure and the authorities of the CFPB. Uh, in whole, they're actually looking to modify it so that it looks a little bit more like the FTC and still retain some... Independence, you know, but... Yeah, independence and enforcement authority, but some of the, I think, special privileges that they were given in the Dodd-Frank Act, you know, Republicans are definitely looking to curtail back. And I think part of the discussion here will be whether or not the administration is a leading or lagging indicator in kind of shaping the discussion about the CFPB. So I think to the surprise of some, uh, you know, Trump, you know, has been in office now for what is it going on? A less month? than a month. Less than, <laughs> less, than a, less than a month. Some will say it's a year. Some people thought, you know, a first order of business of President Trump uh, would be to remove Director Cordray. And that's on some Le- uh, shaky legal footing right, right now. Uh, there's a case that went through the D.C. Circuit Court uh, involving a company called PHH uh, that challenged a number of issues, uh, but one of them being the constitutionality of the structure of the CFPB. And that lower court decision, they actually ruled in a 2-1 decision that the structure is unconstitutional, and the remedy that they put forward was that the director of the CFPB would no longer no longer could he only be removed for cause, but that he would sit at the pleasure of the president, similar to what we see in some other regulatory bodies. So 
That is the precedent that came out of the lower court that has now been challenged to the uh, D.C. Court of Appeals. And we're probably going to get a decision, but that's not weeks, that's months out, probably still this year. But, you know, there is an open question right now as to under that lower court decision, can Trump remove Cordray? And I think if he removes Cordray, um, you know, the conversation is, of course, going to change. Um, regardless, you know, my uh, what I have been telling folks is that I think regardless, Director Cordray, his term expires uh, next summer, uh, in the summer of 2018. And at that juncture, President uh, Trump will be in a position to appoint a new director. And I think that's an immediate catalyst for structural reforms. Yeah, at a minimum, uh, what I've been what I've been telling people is that I think uh, I think moving from a single director to a five member bipartisan commission similar to the SEC is probably inevitable. Uh, you'll have a three two split, three Republicans, two Democrats. Um, there are some other questions as about to whether it becomes appropriated and how its authorities are changed or curtailed. But you know, I think over the next two years, changes to the CFPB are going to happen. It's just more a question of you know when and what is still somewhat up in the air. What are you hearing, uh, Zach, for when you think of the committees of jurisdiction on financial services? What, what do you think of the, you know, you got Dodd-Frank, you, you have the, cons- you know, the Consumer uh, Financial Protection Bureau. But what are the, what are the issues that no matter what, they're going to have to deal with? I mean, I've heard flood insurance is, mm-hmm. is coming around the corner and no one's, no one's talking about it on a broad sense. And I remember going through the flood insurance debate. You'd think it was a non-issue in the longer, you know, the big, in the, all the big issues you deal with, but it became a dominant discussion on the Senate floor more than I'd ever thought it would be, you know, on flood insurance. But do you, what are those three or four things that you think are going to kind of pop up in the committee that from in either committee, House or Senate, that has jurisdiction, that our clients need to be thinking about, that it's not a – it's coming. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, flood insurance is, is important. But honestly, for, for the – on the Senate banking side, I think John would probably agree that uh, in the past couple of years that has been um, slightly less active than some of the other committees. Financial Services Committee on the House side – uh, similarly, uh, you know, spent a lot of last Congress uh, focused on on GSC reform and on and on the uh, Financial Choice Act. And again, I think those were viewed more uh, as messaging pieces while we had a sitting Democratic president. But the new reality that few in Washington expected post November elections changed the whole dynamic. And I think that if you asked. Uh, if you asked uh, House and Senate Republicans, especially House Republicans, uh, what they view as a must-pass, they would say Dodd-Frank. Dodd-Frank. Uh, and I think that— uh, Credit card and debit card issues aren't coming back? <laughs> you know, I mean, th- th- so, 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 so <laughs> interesting that you, you bring that up. Um, that actually—the uh, issue of interchange fees yeah. is what I think you're referring yes. to. That's actually a, a provision included in the Choice Act. Uh, the repeal of the Durbin Amendment. So to answer your question, yes, that is, that is uh, going to be platter. brought back up. That's on the platter. It was included in the Choice Act. It was included um, uh, last year, and, and it was included in this year as well. We expect it to be in the, in the final text uh, when, the, when the bill is finally uh, introduced and, and marked up. But again, that's an issue that has been around for a very long time. Uh, many of our, our financial services clients are, 
are adamantly opposed to the Durbin Amendment or right. fervently to to address that issue and are supportive of the fact that it's in uh, the dot or that it's in. Yeah, the and I I think just to add to what Zach said, um, you know, the interesting thing is that a lot of these issues, whether it's flood insurance or whether it's um, you know interchange fees, those issues have have been around for a long time and have been uh, you know I think discussed at length. That being said, what I would add is that when you actually look at the makeup of the current Congress, um, there are 240 members of the House, uh, roughly approximately around there, who were not around for the original vote on Dodd-Frank. Which is, which is amazing when you think about it, statistically, mm-hmm. that more than half. In the Senate, it is exactly half of current senators were not around for, for Dodd-Frank. So, you know, there have been, uh, granted, a lot of legislative proposals uh, since Dodd-Frank, primarily, I'll say, you know, Chairman Shelby, last Congress, also had his Dodd-Frank reform bill. Um, Henserling has put out a, a lot of policy and a lot of legislation regarding, you know, his views on how financial regulation should work broadly. Um, but that being said, you know, there haven't been as many floor votes. So you might get some uh, interesting tug and pull, I think, on some of these members who were not around for Dodd-Frank who, you know, might have to now better define their positions in these areas. And, and, and the committee last year spent, especially on the House side, the committee last year spent a lot of time shooting out um, rifle shot bills that, right. that on their own, you know, passed with bipartisan support, passed, you know, pretty smoothly. Uh, many of them went on to the onto the, the House floor and passed, you know, in, in a suspension uh, in a lot of cases. Again, you know, sending all those bills over to the Senate is a, is a different situation for how they're going to consider that. And the vast majority of them were obviously never considered. And I think that the one way to view the, the Choice Act, uh, while uh, there are varying opinions on uh, all that is included in, you know, s- some clients like this half of it and not the other, and, and the other clients like the other half and not the other, and the industry is kind of you know, split on exactly uh, where they are on the bill as a whole. There are a lot of provisions in there that that people support, and it's really kind of an amalgamation of several years worth of of legislative consideration that has come out of the the committee and packaged into you one know one bill. one large and it's, piece of legislation. And, and let me kind of end our. Uh, session on this and, and and say, I mean, it's possible that you might have this mega bill, but you might also have people say, okay, let's get a couple things done and kind of reach into that bill and pop some things out that they know they had bipartisan support on, mm-hmm. right? Is that a fair? Yeah, so I would, and I think Zach would agree on me, there, there are specific areas where we've seen bipartisan consensus. And even last year, after Senator Shelby put out his bill, you know, we're very well aware that you know, some of your more moderate Democrats on the banking committee were continuing to work with both Crapo and other Republicans to formulate a package of what that looked like. Things like increasing, um, you know, the threshold at which banking institutions become systemically important, systemically risky. Right now it sits at $50 billion. And I think there is kind of a broader bipartisan consensus that that's that's a hard a having a hard number is probably not the best way to determine whether or not a financial institution is systemically risky. Um, so it's either increasing that cap or just changing the threshold altogether. One of the other things I would um, just add in terms of popping things out and showing progress and getting things done, um, you know the the uh, Congressional Review Act has become, I think, a very important tool to the new unified Republican government in trying to do exactly that. So we saw one of the first regulations that was struck down, promulgated under Obama, uh, within the eligibility of the 60 legislative days uh, in the 
uh, Congressional Review Act, it was an SEC regulation that really dealt more with the oil and gas industry and certain disclosures, but that was one of their first orders of business and actually chipping away at what people view as kind of overburdening and cumbersome uh, regulation. I think there are more of those in the pipeline, whether it's uh, CFPB, whether it's SEC. So for folks looking at you know, maybe a mandatory arbitration rule out of the CFPB or maybe a payday lending rule out of the CFPB. I think, you know, Congress is going to continue to try to, you know, they want to do things, they want to show progress, and the Congressional Review Act is absolutely a tool because you don't have to deal with that 60-vote issue in the Senate. 50 plus one. And you're, you're also seeing um, another good example of that. You're also seeing some of these financial services trade associations coming together uh, jointly and issuing letters of support on various provisions, uh, so, and I don't want to—I don't want to say uh, you know qualified support, but rather uh, here are three provisions that we very much support. Here are a couple provisions that we have some concerns about. Um, one good example is the uh, what John mentioned earlier regarding uh, changing from a director to a commission uh, set up at the CFPB. You, uh, the American Bankers Association, Community Bankers Association, Credit Union National Association, and National Association of Federal Credit Unions. Uh, all support that. All, all supportive have been doing, uh, you know, joint letters and joint meetings, uh, you know, advocating for that as well. You know, very, very popular among among all of the banking trades. So, so there's, again, there's groups that as this kind of moves, they might, again, uh, get around certain pieces of it right. like this and say, I think yes, we want to do saying, this. Right. And I think that, you know, and, and if you dig down even a little deeper, you're, if you uh, if you look at some of the associations uh, on a case-by-case basis, some are going even farther as to saying, we understand, you know, saying to Democrats, especially especially ones in the Senate, saying, we understand that you can't live with all of these changes uh, that are being proposed, and and some of them maybe to the right of some of these associations in terms of how far they go uh, in terms of uh, reforming Dodd Frank. That said, I think you're going to see uh, kind of increased pressure uh, from some of these associations to to say to Democrats, especially in the Senate, give us something, something to work do for, something. with. Find yeah, it, yeah. Give us something that we can that we can support, that you can support. So I think Zach's exactly right. And I think, you know, every member, regardless of party, they have an interest in being at the table twofold. There's a bank or credit union, what have you, in every financial district. So obviously there's an interest there. But, you know, I think above and beyond that, you know, members of Congress want to get to the point where they can go home to their constituents and say, you know, I'm making it easier for you to get a mortgage. If you're a small business owner, I'm making it easier for you to get a loan. So it's, you know, all of this kind of fits within the regulatory arena. But I think there's a broad bipartisan sense of how can we get capital off the sidelines? How can we make it easier for people to access funding to make smart financial decisions? And so I think those are broader themes that you can get bipartisan support around. Well, this has been great. Uh, John and Zach, you know, the amount of information that's available on this uh, is never ending because, you, you know, you see that, the, again, on a couple of these hot issues, the Dodd-Frank is going to be definitely out there. But you think of all where these two committees or financial services touch is pretty wide-ranging. So first, I want to thank you for both being here and being part of this. Thanks for being part of the Brownstein team. And I know uh, many of our clients are anxious to kind of watch these issues because it affects their bottom line and it affects how they can operate and and deal and work with their customers in a a positive arena. So thank you for being here and being part of this. Thank you. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.